Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. On the way back to Vermont, I thought about words and how if you put a few of them in the right order, a three-minute story about a girl and her dog can get people to forget all the ways you've disappointed them. Lily King, Five Tuesdays in Winter. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And today, Olivia, Lucy, and I are back with November's new release roundup, our last one of the year. We're discussing our favorite newly released titles of the month, highlighting new books without overwhelming your probably already daunting TBR list. Welcome back, guys. Hello. Okay, so this is our last roundup of the year because December is a notoriously slow publishing month so this is it this is, we'll be back in december with our best books of the year but these are like the last newly released titles we're going to talk about how do you guys feel about your list yeah it's pretty fun i think it's <laughs> <is> pretty fun <laughs> mine's not quite as fun but i see a lot of gifting books on here so that's good yes i feel like when i came up with my list uh, like at first i thought what's coming out in november and release dates are changing all the time. That's like the caveat we should give <laughs> before we start this episode. Like publishing dates are changing constantly, especially right now. But I did look at my list and thought, well, this is a well-rounded <laughs> genre list. Like there's a lot here. So, okay. Shall we begin? Let's do it. Okay. My first two are rom-coms. And the part of the reason I wanted to talk about these is because this is the time of year when that's almost all my brain can handle. Like we're about to get to the point in the year where I, my reading life is going to really quiet down and I'm going to pretty much stick with the rom-com genre because I can't process anything else. So there are two really cute looking rom-coms coming out on November 2nd both of them paperback originals. The first is called The Donut Trap by Julie Tew. This is a debut rom-com. It has gotten rave critical reviews, which uh, critics are not always kind to rom-coms for whatever reason, but this one really did get lovely praise. And I've heard that it's good for fans of Frankly in Love, which I know, Olivia, you also read and enjoyed. So it's about a young woman named Jasmine. Her parents own a donut shop and she finds herself having to move back home, having to get a job at the donut shop. And of course, the donut shop is kind of sort of failing. And so she has to like partner with a nemesis to help revive the donut shop. So all the rom-com tropes you love, but also um, dealing dealing with issues of identity and second generation immigrants and things like that because she's very different from her Chinese-born parents. And so it sounds really lovely. It is called The Donut Trap. And then the second, albeit sillier sound, like I almost didn't include this. And then I was like, it's so bonkers that I have to. It's called How to Marry Keanu Reeves in 90 Days. This is by K.M. Jackson. This is part rom-com, part road trip because the main character, Bethany Liu, finds out that her longtime Hollywood celebrity crush, Keanu Reeves, is getting married. She is distraught because she believes 
he is her true love. And so she gets together with her best friend and they take a cross country road trip from New York to LA to find Keanu Reeves and like break up his wedding. But apparently on the way, there's a lot of references and like reenactments of like Keanu Reeves' famous movies. And so it just sounds so ridiculous that I kind of need to read it. (laughs) I think I might need to read it too. (laughs) I really like Keanu Reeves. That's for like a night where you've wrapped like 150 presents at work and you're like my brain can't do anything other than Keanu Reeves can't do anything other than try to figure out which movie is this trying to represent like where's the matrix reference where's the bill and ted yeah where's speed (laughs) i just think it sounds so clever and funny and outlandish um it is called how to marry keanu reeves in 90 days by k.m jackson both of those rom-coms are paperback originals out on november 2nd olivia might start reading (laughs) (laughs) rom-coms i tell you what this like Lucy said, like, there are days where we just are on our feet a lot. We've wrapped a lot of presents. And I really, I can't quite do the Hallmark movie. I just can't. But reading a light, kind of um, enjoyable rom-com is fun to me. And so that's probably what I'll be doing all December long. (laughs) All right. Am I next? Yes. Okay. My first one is called Tiger Skin Rug by Joan Haig. And this is out beginning of November, uh, next Tuesday, November 2nd. And this is about two kids, um, Lal and Dilip, who move from India to Scotland into this, like, this old woman who's passed away. It's like her her house, but it's this huge mansion type house. And, and no one from the neighborhood has ever been allowed to enter said house. So like when they go around and meet kids from the neighborhood, all of them ask to like see the house because they feel like something magical is inside. Uh, And they're right because (laughs) the younger brother finds this room that is like a little casual TV room, but it has a tiger skin rug in it. And when he whispers into the tiger's ear, the tiger comes to life. And together with the tiger, they have this magical adventure because the tiger has like unfinished business to take care of. And they end up back in India, but they learn, you know, home is where your family is, not necessarily where you grew up. And it was so good. And nothing like nothing traumatic happens. (laughs) It's just a fun adventure. I think excellent for kids like eight to 12 and could be a great read aloud for younger if they're interested. Okay. Really appreciate when a children's book is light on the trauma. (laughs) Always, always appreciate that. Yes. Okay. My first book is Aesop's Animals, The Science Behind the Fables. This is by Joe Wimpany, and she is like a behavioral scientist of animals. And so this is kind of one of those books to me that's like, when you're reading it, you're like looking for people around. You're like, listen to this. <laughs> listen to this fact. Like I kind of felt that way about, um, it was a couple of years ago, Bill Bryson's body book. Oh, yeah. um, it was just like chock full of interesting facts. But this is about animal behavior and the past, I don't know, 20, 30 years of research and what we've learned about the way different animals behave. And then she goes back and kind of, tries to say like are these things from Aesop's fables true and how have they formed the way we think about how animals behave and how is that 
how can we update those thoughts now? Um, so just like a lot of really interesting facts. Um, one was about this, like the largest ant colony spans like multiple continents. It goes, it's like part here, part in Japan. It's like part in Australia, New Zealand. So if you took an ant from like any part of that, like California and put it in an ant colony in like Japan or Australia, like they would accept that ant because it's the part of the same like underground colony. Olivia is like so (laughs) repulsed somehow. But if you, but if you took one from like a different colony then and put it in there, then they would like rip it apart. Anyway, stuff like that stuff like yeah stuff like um do dogs like can dogs recognize themselves in a mirror like those sorts of Mm. um things so just really interesting and i think a good gift for like anybody in your life who really likes animals um or science or behavioral science really a fun nonfiction book i think that sounds really interesting okay my next one is quite the departure uh, from that. It is Wholehearted Faith. This is by Rachel Held Evans. Rachel Held Evans is beloved, uh, particularly among progressive Christians, uh, many of whom found themselves outside, I think, the typical evangelical bubble or world. Um, She came from an evangelical background, and so I think had a real ability to reach a wide range of people of the Christian faith. She passed away in 2019. And so quite a young age. She was my age. And so this is being posthumously published, but I think it's really lovely. I've already started it, but it is a little, um, it is a little sad to read because her words are so, um, they make such an impact on the reader and she, her best friend or one of her dear friends is Jeff Chu. And so Jeff Chu has taken Rachel's writings and compiled them and added his own words in order to really let Rachel's words shine. And so even the, uh, kind of forward. I think Rachel's husband wrote a forward and then Jeff wrote an introduction, I think. And just the way he wrote about his friendship with Rachel and the way he took her work and tried to keep her spirit in it while also having to, you know, make edits or make additions because she was not in the room with him uh, is really just very lovely. It's very powerful. I like a lot of her work. I think I've read multiple books by her, but this one is um, just as powerful and as well-written as her previous works. I'm thrilled by it. And I think other people who really love Rachel Held Evans and appreciated her voice will be so comforted to get to hear from her again. So this is Wholehearted Faith by Rachel Held Evans. It's out on November 2nd as well. Okay, my next one is an adult novel. I think this is my only adult novel of the day. (laughs) (laughs) But I just finished it last night. It was great. It's called A Marvelous Light, and it's by Freya Marski, and it's out November 2nd. And it's going to be the first in a series that probably, I don't know how many books are going to be in the series. I would imagine upwards of two to three. But this is about a man who um, gets hired for a new government position. He's like this magical liaison where he's almost like the, the cleanup crew of, of this world. The only problem is that he was accidentally assigned to this government division and he doesn't actually know that magic is in the world. Um, so he gets a little bit of like a rude awakening. There is an LGBTQ plus romance in there. Some of it, I will say, is a little bit 
open door. (laughs) (laughs) But it was absolutely delightful. I loved like the magic in this world. They needed strings. Like they pulled them out of their pockets and then the string would help them conduct magic. But it was like only you only get a certain amount of magic per day. And like everybody has a different amount that they can use. So the guy who shows Robert the accidental new magical liaison, um, his name's Edwin. And he's actually like he only has a little bit of magic. He's like the only one in his family who doesn't have like a ton of magic. He comes from this like really powerful family. Um, So it was really good. It was really good. That would be like your saddest life, uh, like life story. To be you specifically, Olivia, to be like the least magical member of your family. It really, it were just like to know that there's magic out there, but I cannot do. But it's unavailable to you. When I would just, what is the point? (laughs) She looks so upset. It's a completely hypothetical situation. Um, this sounds house in the Cerulean Sea adjacent. Like if people like yeah. that, would they like this? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah. I it had compared to red, white, and royal blue as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I think that is mostly like the queer romance side of it. But then I would yes. say it's like red, white, royal blue meets house in the Cerulean Sea. Okay. We used to get so many people asking for another book like red white and royal blue i feel like you know we were always like looking for something to give somebody who liked that yeah Uh, it's out now (laughs) (laughs) it's ready (laughs) okay i realized i forgot to say my last book was out november 2nd and this book my next book is also out november 2nd this is called the island of missing trees by alif shafak annie Yes. I think you would like this. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. You should read it. Um, it is a, it is beautiful. Um, the writing is just stunning. And it's, it's set in both London and Cyprus. And so it opens in London where you think your main character is this like daughter who lives with her father. And she recently lost her mother to, I think, cancer. And, um, she's struggling socially and she's struggling in school, but then you go back in time to Cyprus where her parents met and part of their meeting story is they met at this taverna because it was like a secret location where they could be together because one of them was Turkish and Muslim and the other one was Christian and Greek. And that was like, it was like a time in Cyprus of great um, political tension. And then there was following that a civil war. Um, And so they fell in love. They met at this taverna that was like secret. And in the middle of the taverna is this fig tree. And so the fig tree plays this huge role in their relationship. They eventually like take a piece of the fig tree, a cutting, and they move to London. And then they plant that fig tree. And so Every other chapter or so is narrated by the fig tree. Oh. So there's a like an aspect of magical realism to it. But then you also have this part of the story that's like the daughter, she, she has not been told why her parents had to leave Cyprus. She doesn't know any of her family members from Cyprus. She doesn't know the history of Cyprus or of her parents' relationship. And so she's feeling like she's coming of age, but she's also like unmoored from her own identity, which resonates with me as a person who moved from my homeland at a very young age too. So 
uh, just a really, really exceptionally beautifully written book and interesting. You kind of have to be okay with the concept of reading from the point of view of a tree. I think there would be people who would say, I know I'm not going to like that. And that mm-hmm. that's fine. Don't read this book. Um, but it's called The Island of Missing Trees out November 2nd. It does sound really lovely. I will have to pick it up. Okay, my next one is Dear William. This is by David McGee out on November 2nd. This is a memoir I picked up kind of on a whim. Like, you know, (laughs) we get a lot of ARCs at the bookshelf. And if it's not shelf subscription material, sometimes like I put it to the wayside. But I picked this one up and just decided to read, I don't know, a chapter or two just to see if I would like it, maybe to talk about it at a literary lunch or something. And instead, I think I wound up reading the whole thing when I got home, like just kind of devoured it. It is a memoir written by David about his son's struggle and um, ultimate death from addiction. And so it is not for the faint of heart. It's not light or fluffy, but it is a really loving tribute to his son and also to their family and to what their family endured, what their son endured. Um, I think this would be great for people in recovery or perhaps maybe even better for families with people in recovery, because I really loved reading this dad's perspective and kind of what he observed in his son and the way that the ways that he felt he um, was a comfort and a gift to his son and also the ways that maybe he struggled and, and wasn't there for his son in the ways he needed to be. Um, so I think this would be really valuable. I also appreciate reading books like this because I feel like I read a lot of nonfiction like I'm thinking about the book Dope Sick or something like that, where it's kind of journalistic and scientific and tells me about the pharmaceutical industry or drug companies or the history of addiction in a certain area and really understanding how it affects people on like a tiny you know, microscopic level where it's this one family and their one story and how how this young man's life and death impacted his siblings. I just thought it, thought it was really beautifully written. It reminded me a lot of the book, different subject matter, but the writing in the book um, In the Sanctuary of Outcasts, which was a book I loved years ago. Um, So kind of Southern in the telling. David McGee is from Mississippi, and I think that Southern storytelling plays a role here. I just loved this book. It's called Dear William out on November 2nd. And that's not O. William. Correct. Not to be confused. <laughs> Not to be confused. I literally, when I, when we, I just finished, I think, Oh, William, and I started to do a 10 second book review for it. And I called it Dear William. And I was like, Oh, no, <laughs> two very different books uh, with very similar titles. <laughs> okay, my next kids book is the one I said last time we recorded this podcast for October releases is what I was reading. This is Thursday's Child by Noel Streetfield. Uh, it comes out 11-9, November 9th, which uh, I think was supposed to come out a lot earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I just actually looked up the release date and took the books before. <laughs> <laughs> lucky, lucky whoever already bought it. Yep. <laughs> so this is like an older title of Knowles that is now being republished. There's two in the series, but this is about Margaret Thursday, who was is an orphan um, and was dropped off at this little church with like all these nice clothes and a nice basket belonging to her. Um, and she was raised by like the the head of the church there and then this other woman because every year her mom would sneak and leave um, some money every Christmas mm-hmm. for Margaret for the rest of the year until 
one Christmas, her mom stops dropping off money because there's no more left. So mm-hmm. Margaret gets sent to this orphanage, which is very like Annie type orphanage mm-hmm. <laughs> where like the, the matron is not great, but she meets these three siblings and together they all like sneak out of the orphanage and wind up like on this, on this great adventure um, and end up with a theater troupe, which is where you find Margaret at in the next book. Oh, it a was theater troupe. <laughs> yeah, a theater troupe. That does sound delightful. It sounds a little, actually, like a little princess, right? Yeah. Like this child who has money, and then when the money runs out, the people stop taking good care of her. Should we remind people that Noel Strepfield, you will recognize from our beloved You've Got Mail, because she wrote theater shoes and ballet shoes. I can't wait to read this one. You gave me the ARC, and I'm saving it for a, you know, downer of a day like I, yeah like, it's a, a, like a christmas kids book too because yeah. it takes place all around that time and okay margaret is such a delight to read about um she's so cute sounds lovely wow my next book is not lovely <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is called white hot hate <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Quite a departure. So, so different. White Hot Hate, A True Story of Domestic Terrorism in America's Heartland by Dick Lair. This is nonfiction. This is also one of those books I could see Annie picking up, but obviously mm-hmm. not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in a few months when you're back to reading dark. Um, yes. But it is a story about a group of men in a small Kansas town. I believe it's Kansas. Um, who after the Pulse nightclub massacre, they decide that they're going to take their town's safety into their own hands. And what that means to them is that they are upset about the large influx of Somali immigrants in their town. So they start planning some attacks and there's a person who like just happens to be a man who just happens to be like, kind of in that group but he doesn't agree with it and he ends up turning like into an informant and so he like infiltrates their group and then acts as an informant and they get busted but it's also like talking about domestic terrorism which is i hate to say a hot topic right now but a necessary topic right now and how people get radicalized and how they radicalize each other and um uh, I think the publisher is saying it's good for fans of I'll Be Gone in the Dark, too. So kind of a true crime type story. Uh, White Hot Hate, and it's out November 9th. Yeah, I'd read that. I definitely would. It, I read a book at the start of this year. Now I'm going to, I don't know the name, Culture Wars. It was a book about uh, internet ideology and like how hate grows on the internet. And I was glad to have read it. Like they're not easy books to read, but I don't know. I like informing myself in that way. I don't know. I like kind of doing a deep dive into subjects like that. Okay. My next one, I am very curious about. I have not read it. And I honestly, I feel like I might have had an ARC at some point. Oh, I do. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> I, see, <laughs> I see it on my cart right now. So maybe I'll pick it up um, because I think it was delayed. Like I think this was, yeah, the original release was September sometime. So I think it's been pushed back. It is called The Family. Uh, this is by Naomi Kropitsky. Publishing as of this date <laughs> should have been published 11-2. Who knows? Um, 
But this is a debut novel. I wondered after reading the description if it would be good for fans of Elena Ferrante because it's dealing with these two best friends growing up in 20th century Brooklyn, Sophia and Antonia. Antonia? Hmm. Unclear. I never know. Hard to say, but they're best friends and their families are involved with the Italian mafia. And eventually it's kind of just their friendship, their coming of age and their coming of age in this particular culture, in this particular time. But Antonia's dad goes missing. And so the book unfolds like what and how, what happened to her dad and how it affected her friendship with um, Sophia and how it affected their upbringing, particularly being raised, you know, these children of the Italian mafia. I am very curious and I love the kind of two best friends who are trying to navigate, navigate this world that they don't quite understand. And that's kind of why it reminded me a little bit of Elena Ferrante. Yeah, it kind of sounds a little bit outside my typical genre, maybe more historical fiction, but I don't know. I'm very curious. Uh, It's a debut. It's called The Family by Naomi Krupitsky. Okay, my next one is, it's technically a picture book, but it's pretty long for a picture book. So I actually think it would be a great, like, um, early chapter book read aloud for families. Uh, But this is The Legend of the Christmas Witch by Dan Murphy and Aubrey Plaza, best known as April Ludgate from Parks and Recreation. Um, And it's out November 16th. Leave it to April Ludgate to put her name on a Christmas witch book. (laughs) (laughs) While you're reading it, you can kind of tell where maybe her inputs were. But it's really fun. It is this like lore about um, Chris Kringle and his sister getting separated as children. Uh, They get lost like almost Hansel and Gretel style in the woods. And Christopher ends up with the Kringle family getting adopted by them. And they live in this town where they're like wood. They own a wood shop. So they make all these toys and whatnot. Goes down that path that you would know and love. Um, and then you see his sister, and I forget her name right now, which is terrible. It's some form of like Chris something. Um, <laughs> but she ends up getting picked up by this witch who lives in the woods and getting taught like all this like nature magic. And so one day she then sets off to find her brother because uh, she knows they're supposed to be reunited. And she accidentally, she knows she's supposed to go north, but she ends up going down to the South Pole. Um, (laughs) so yes it's about santa and his sister um but it is it is like a good like two three paragraphs on each page which is why i think it would actually be a great like read aloud not Mm -hmm. so much for like a younger picture book reader because i don't know that they'll be able to sit through the entire story um my sister and i used to read like Christmas books in our bed, like Christmas Eve. And I feel like this would be a great one like that because I I could easily see like kids falling asleep to this story Christmas Eve. It was really cute. It's very clever. I could see it being turned into a movie or something. Like it's kind of shocking that we haven't, I don't know, imagined Santa's sister before. We have. There is. (laughs) So I'm glad you said something. (laughs) We totally planned that. (laughs) Last Christmas, there was a new movie that came out with Anna Kendrick called Noel. 
I ended up watching it three times because I don't know why, but it it struck the chord that I needed that holiday season. (laughs) Now you know what it's like to work retail in the holidays. You'll watch Anna Kendrick's newest Christmas movie three times. (laughs) It was delightful. She's Santa's sister. (laughs) Okay. And she gets the Santa Jean instead of her her brother, who I believe is um, Bill Hader. I cannot wait to read Gabriel Christmas books this year. I'm so excited. I'm about to order him the Jolly Christmas Postman, which I, I don't think I've read since I was like six years old, but it was yeah. like a huge part of my childhood. Ooh, I'm so excited. <laughs> anyway, um, probably not that one though, because He's one year old. Um, um, Okay, my next book is Our First Civil War, Patriots and Loyalists in the American Revolution. This is by H.W. Brands, who we knew last Christmas season, we were pushing his Zealot and the Emancipator about John Brown and Abraham Lincoln. So perhaps for a person that you purchased that book for (laughs) as a Christmas gift, this one would work as well. I have not read it yet, um, but the concept is thinking about the American Revolution as a sort of civil war in which each person had to choose their side and kind of uh, paying attention to familial relationships and friendships um, that get broken in that way. I think it was Thomas Jefferson, he said? who had a son who was um, remained a loyalist to the crown. Yes. So uh, really, it sounds like an interesting book. H.W. Brands is really good at writing history. That's um, it's like popular history. So an accessible read. Great for your dad or grandpa. And that comes out. Let's see. That is out on November 9th. Um, the first time I began thinking about whether I would have been a loyalist or a revolutionary was when I read um, <laughs> when I read uh, Felicity books, the American Girl books, because mm-hmm. in the Felicity story, her one of her dear friends is a loyalist. And I had never thought about that before. And in fact, if you grow up in America and you just sit in on your traditional history classes, there is not a lot of love given to people who would have been loyalists and Jordan and I, I don't know, this is, this is me just chatting, but Jordan and I think we would have been loyalists probably actually in the, um, like, I love this. That's I, what you guys go home. And chat about. Yeah. And he's like the first time I thought about being a loyalist, but certainly not the last is when I was a young you know, girl. Colonialism. Um, I gotta say, I think all three of us here would have been loyalists. Yeah, These are, know, this is a room of rule followers. <laughs> It's it's rule fault. Like I we t- we discussed this when we were in college. Like because there's part of me that's like, oh, like America, and I I feel like I'm a, occasionally a patriotic person, but the older you get, I mean, not to get controversial, but the more you learn, and the more you're like, oh, I'm not sure what what patriots wanted is what I would have wanted. <laughs> Yeah, I would have been like, let's not shed any blood here, you guys. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You just kind of learn let's like as just you get older. Be paying the taxes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be it's fine. fine. It's fine. Um, just fascinating. Uh, something to think about for sure. Olivia's yawning. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. Olivia, Olivia's 
a giant yawn. I will move on, but I could talk about this all day. Um, okay. So my next one is Five Tuesdays in Winter by Lily King. This comes out November 9th. I love Lily King. I should have discovered her long ago. Like she wrote the book, I believe called Euphoria, but I read my first book by her was Writers and Lovers. And I read it so much or I loved it so much. I think it was even maybe a shelf subscription selection back in the day. But this is her new short story collection. And I feel, I don't know, ambivalent about short story collections. Like sometimes I love them. Sometimes I don't. This one I love. And Speaking of like not having much brain power during the holiday season, I highly recommend trying an essay collection or a short story collection because you do not need to read them all the way through. Although Lily King is such a great writer that I wound up easily kind of devouring the whole thing. Um, I just read another short story collection last night. Like I just, I don't know. It's like they're digestible. The format is easily digestible. And is good for when your brain feels a little all over the place. So this is a particularly lovely collection. The title story, Five Tuesdays in Winter, I think might be one of my favorites in the collection. It may be my favorite. But sometimes I hear people say, oh, I don't like short stories because you get so invested in these characters and then you, you know, the next story has nothing to do with them. But I think that's why I kind of like it. Like it's like a little snapshot into these characters' lives and you can kind of keep imagining what's going on with them, but you only get a quick glimpse. Um, and I think in the hands of a writer like Lily King, they can be very powerful. So I really love this one. It's called Five Tuesdays in Winter by Lily King out on November 9th. Okay, I have another picture book next and I'm actually yet again really excited about this one. Um, this is called Hornswoggled by Josh Crute, <laughs> and it's out November 23rd. Um, and this is, so it's part mystery, but also part educational on words we don't use often anymore, such as hornswoggled. Um, and so anytime they use like a, a word like that, they do put in like a little definition for kids as well. Cute. But this is about a deer who wakes up one morning. And he really like, reaches up to like double check his antlers and he realizes that in his sleep, somebody took one of his antlers and replaced it by duct taping a tennis racket. <laughs> I just think that's hilarious. <laughs> so <laughs> the mystery is, is who hornswoggled the deer for his antler. Um, but it is delightful. At that point, you just go double double tennis racket right for sure you just get uh, rid of that antler you would think so but then don't you think like the actual racket part would kind of like clank you, you could put I mean? them apart you really have like to put a, them apart yeah wide mm. <laughs> wide <Yeah>. pigtails <laughs> um did you guys i don't know isn't in friends doesn't ross date someone named elizabeth hornswoggle i believe that he does that sounds familiar but Sadly, because of Netflix, I haven't seen it in a long time. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, I can't tell you the last time I watched Friends because it's no longer. I can tell it. you. it's It was 2018 because Netflix, when you're in France, they have like an extremely limited number of shows oh. that you can watch. But Friends was one of them. So I watched every season. Oh, that's funny. I watch yeah. it every night while I cook dinner. Um, and I'm pretty sure there's an Elizabeth Hornswoggle yeah. somewhere. <laughs> Okay, I will skip ahead to These Precious Days by Ann Patchett. And that is just um, to confirm what Annie said, like, about holiday reading and shorter 
um, pieces. So this is an essay collection by Ann Patchett. And, um, and so you can, I mean, there's some longer ones that will take up a chunk of your time that would be like reading before bed, but there are some even shorter ones that you could read. I don't know, while, while your mom is making her mashed potatoes and your dad's <laughs> watching the football and you just have 15 minutes before you need to help with the pie. Um, it's, <laughs> watching the football. It's, um, it's beautifully written. If you love Ann Patchett, you'll love this. The um, title essay, which is at the end, um, is These Precious Days. Annie, did you ever read that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved it. Yes. So um, it was originally featured in, I think, Harper's Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about Ann Patchett's kind of unlikely friendship with Tom Hanks's secretary. Did you ever read that Tom Hanks book? I did. The short stories? Yes. I did. Okay. Yeah. I never did. They're good. Okay. <laughs> they're they're good. They're like not the best thing I've ever read, but they're pretty impressive for a guy where that's not his main gig, you know? Yeah. She says in the beginning, she's like, I had this ARC just sitting on my desk and I was not going to read it because actors shouldn't be writers. But then one day I just, <laughs> she was like, then one day I just decided, why can't Tom Hanks be a writer? <laughs> exactly why not and of all people you know (laughs) of all people he can do it um so this is just it's exactly what you would expect of Ann Patchett it's funny it's tender it's touching it's sweet um I I loved it these precious days and that's out November 23rd I'm curious Lucy if you feel the same way I do I like Ann Patchett's fiction I loved Commonwealth I think it's my favorite one of hers but I actually prefer Ann Patchett the essayist like I that is where I first fell in love with her um and I've read more of that than I have her fiction so I'm very excited about this one I I feel exactly the same way yeah yeah okay next up for me is a book called The Sentence this is by Louise Erdrich I I'm sorry to say that I've never read anything by Louise Erdrich, but I'm going to be fixing that next year. Hunter and I are going to do some backlist titles together, including um, The Roundhouse by her. But this is her new book called The Sentence. I was immediately curious about it because it is set from All Souls Day 2019 to All Souls Day 2020. So it starts pre-pandemic and then ends mid pandemic. And I, again, like I wasn't, I was curious about that, but I also can't tell if I want right now out of my pop culture, an acknowledgement of the pandemic. Like sometimes when it shows up in a TV show, I'm like, no, no, I want to pretend it's not happening. Like I don't, I don't want creators and artists talking about it, but at the same time, when a really talented creator or artist is talking about it, I think it's helpful to help us process what the last 18, 20 months have held. And that is the category I put the sentence in. So it's set from All Souls Day 2019 to All Souls Day 2020. Louise Erdrich actually owns an independent bookstore in Minnesota. I also did not know that. Um, And the book is definitely fiction, but Louise even is a small character in the book. It is all about this bookstore and a ghost that lives at the bookstore between those All Souls Day time periods. And it is kind of about how one of the booksellers is enduring the pandemic, enduring grief, enduring racial justice issues that were especially, obviously they were nationwide, but this book is set in Minnesota. So dealing a lot with that. And then 
just you know, life in a bookstore. So I think it's really great for people who love books about bookstores. I thought about the storied life of AJ Fickrey, which was one of my favorite books a while ago, but it is definitely grittier than that, like a little darker than that. Um, because it's dealing with the trauma we've endured over the last yeah year and a half. Um, in the hands of a lesser writer, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much as I did. Instead, I devoured it like I consistently wanted to pick it up and read it. And I really think the storytelling is so good. It has now made me want to go back and explore Louise Erdrich's backlist. So that is called The Sentence out on November 9th. Which bookshelf staffer do you think is most likely to make friends with a ghost at the bookstore? Keela. That's what I was going to say, and I didn't know her. <laughs> Keela, is that what your answer would be, Olivia? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, like without a doubt. Yeah. If the ghost showed up today, Keela, Keela would, would befriend honestly, it. Yeah, she would become like best friends with the ghost. So in the book, the funny, like if you work bookstore or retail life, like this book is really great because so the bookstore ghost, like the woman who inhabits the bookstore, she's a, she's their most annoying customer. And so she, she, their most annoying customer dies and doesn't leave the bookstore. And so it's all about this. (laughs) It's kind of all about, oh no, what do we do? And she only really haunts or is around and like all of this unfolds and there are reasons, but like she only really is around when this one bookseller is around because she really pushed her buttons the most. It's really, really well done, but it it did, it did make me think about like, (laughs) Nobody say out loud. Nobody (laughs) say out loud the name you have in your head. (laughs) It's so so funny. You if you if you work retail or bookstore in a bookstore, you will feel seen and known. (laughs) Okay, my next book um, is not a novel; it's more of an activity book. But I wanted to include it on the list because it comes out end of November. But I'm really excited about it. So it's the kids' book of sticker love by Irene Smith and Astrid Vanderholst. And we have in stock the kids' book of paper love, which mm-hmm. is this really cute little book that has all these, like each page has a different activity of like some type of like origami project or something that you can do with the paper that's in the book. So yeah. it has everything you need to do all of these activities right there. And now they're doing a sticker version of this book. And the projects that are in it look really fun. Like one of them is like an octopus. And then like other ones, they just give you like pages with different scenes that you get to decorate. It's very creative. Um, And I think kids will really love it. I feel like I as an adult would really love it. Um, And we did really well with the paper love one. So I think this one will be just as exciting. This is out on November 28th. I feel like my nieces need that. Yeah. Keep them busy. Um, Okay. So this book is um, kind of niche. I'm showing my colors as a music history major here, but it's called Dvorak's Prophecy and the Vexed Fate of Black Classical Music. This is by Joseph Horowitz, who has written a lot of um, music history that gets published in the popular vein. And so it's about Dvorak, who came to America and studied black music and kind of foreshadowed. He thought that the future of American classical music or the way that American classical music would become its own, have its own identity would be through um, using black music. 
And oh. so he wrote the Ninth Symphony, the New World Symphony, and he um, included in many of his works, actually, like old spirituals that he uh, learned from a black man that he became very close with. And so this book is exploring, like, why didn't that actually happen? Why wasn't that mm. the future of American classical music? So if you know somebody who's interested in classical music, um, and also in racial justice, I think this would be an interesting one. That's out November 9th, Dvorak's Prophecy. We'll wait on an order from Barbara Lee. Exactly. I will put one on hold for her. Barbara, we got you. (laughs) Uh, Okay. My last one. Last year, I talked about the poetry collection, What Kind of Woman by Kate Baer. It became one of our best-selling titles of 2020. She is very popular on Instagram. She's even been called the Instagram poet. And somebody, an interviewer, asked her how she felt about that. And she was so gracious about it. I do feel like that kind of does her a disservice, but I appreciate what it's trying to say, which is she is a very accessible poet. And so I feel like if you are somebody who maybe struggles to read poetry, especially without the help of like a professor or guide, I think Kate Bear's collections are really lovely. And what kind of woman was one I just thought every, like, I really want to mail all my friends a copy. Well, she has a new collection out called I Hope This Finds You Well. This is out on November 9th, and it's the same kind of size as her other collection. Like, it's a little paperback original. But what is unique about these is for years, and I have followed Kate Bear. Like, I found Kate Bear on the internet. It feels like a decade ago. But she has taken her unkind DMs, comments, letters that she has received, and she then does like, I don't know, it's it's got a word for it, but like blank out poetry. She like blanks out and creates her own poem from essentially what feels like hate mail. <laughs> like it's like she takes the the words of the unkind words of strangers and turns them into beautiful works of art. And I'm so excited about this. I love when she posts these to her Instagram. She will frequently take a DM. And sometimes they're not, I I say they're unkind. They're often mean, but I think unintentionally mean, like they're trying to be giving advice or whatever. Like maybe they're well-meaning if you want to give people people the benefit of the doubt. But um, these are questionable DMs at best. And then she really turns them into something special and lovely. So I feel like that's what honestly a lot of us are doing, perhaps not in poetic form, but a lot of us over the last couple years are really having to take ugly things and turn them into something beautiful. And so I like the idea that um, she has done this in poetry and it's a collection that you can then share with the people who are enduring hard things alongside you. It is called I Hope This Finds You Well um, by Kate Bayer out on November 9th. Okay, my last one is uh, part graphic novel part chapter book this is called stunt boy in the meantime by jason reynolds and it's illustrated by raul the third who i was not familiar with raul but apparently he's a pretty popular comic book artist um so it was a really big collaboration that they were excited about and it's out november 30th but this is about i forget his real name but he calls himself stunt boy It's like his superhero name. And he lives in this apartment building. Um, It seems like New York. I don't know if they ever actually label it as New York. But his parents are currently going through a divorce. So they're splitting up their stuff in the apartment. But one of them is keeping the apartment. One of them is just moving to the first floor. So they're still going to be together. But it's 
stunt boy, every time he goes up to his parents, they're fighting over a different thing. And so then they just tell him, like, in the meantime, while we're doing this, can you do something else? And I don't think he understands the meaning of in the meantime. So he'll (laughs) always go running to his friend and they'll just be like, oh, your parents are in the meantime. It's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it was it's really cute. And it's really not super heavy on the divorce. I mean, you can tell that, like, you know, he's still sorting it out emotionally, but it's the first in a series and nothing comes to a real conclusion. So I think there's going to be a lot more to it, but like he faces a bully in the building and then ends up friends with him. And like his best friend is also into the same like superhero show that he is too. So she'll like always, he'll tell her what's going on with his parents. And then she'll be like, Oh, it's like that one episode of so-and-so which always ends in a giant explosion. So it sends stunt boy running back to his parents (laughs) only to like either break what they're fighting over or just like throw himself into the room in some dramatic way. (laughs) But it was really cute. I was laughing aloud during it. Um, It was really sweet. I think it's going to be a fun series. Um, Okay. Lastly, this is one that... I understand why, but I could not get my hands on an ARC. Um, I don't think anybody can, but Mm -hmm. it's the 1619 Project by Nicole Hannah-Jones and many, many other contributors. This is, uh, you'll know if your family member does not want to be gifted this already. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, I find it, I'm interested in it. And I think that... Before we critique too much, we should probably understand what's in it. Um, And so I I did listen to the podcast, which was based off of the series in the New York Times. But this is um, apparently a um, widely expanded um, version of those two projects, talking about the history of slavery in America and how it contributed to the history of America. And it combines historical nonfiction essays with poems and um, small pieces of fiction. So I'm very excited to read it. There's also, I don't know, Olivia, if you've seen this, but there's also a children's book, a picture book that's going on with it. Um, Yeah, the 1619 Project Born on the Water. So I'm also really excited about that one too. And that comes out November 16th. I still have my copy from the the 1619 project from the New York times, um, from 2019, I really appreciated it when it came out and I am anxious to get my hands on the book. I think I'll really, it'll be a good one to have at home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those are November releases. We will in December bring you our, each of our top 10 lists of the year. So stay tuned for that. Um, but this is our last new release roundup because uh, December is such a kind of slow month in publishing. So stock up on November and other titles from earlier this year. And yeah, thank you guys so much. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in South Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelfteville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, www.bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. 
Special thanks to Dylan and his team at Studio D Production for sound and editing and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. This week, What I Am Reading is brought to you by Visit Thomasville. On Sunday, November 21st, Holiday Open House will be hosted in downtown Thomasville. This is an annual event that is one of my favorites of the year. All of the downtown shops and restaurants will be fully decked out for the holiday season. In fact, this week, I watched from my office as they installed Christmas lights in the trees upstairs. Um, I was able to get a bird's eye view. So all of the shops and restaurants will be decorated. They will have live music and food trucks. This is something downtown Thomasville puts on every year. It's Sunday from one to five. It automatically feels special because most of the shops and restaurants are closed on Sundays. And so it lends this kind of festive spirit in the air. It is, again, one of my favorite days to work. If you participate, if you come visit downtown Thomasville, for every $20 you spend at a local business, you get a chance to win $100 in downtown dollars. Downtown dollars are like downtown Thomasville's cash money. Like It's like our own currency that you can spend in downtown shops. So the whole thing is very festive and fun. In my opinion, it's a great day to get your holiday shopping kind of wrapped up and done. If you're an early birder, because November 21st is right before Thanksgiving. So you can kind of have it all taken care of before the holidays get the best of you. So it is Sunday, November 21st. It is one of my favorite days. I hope you make the time to come visit whether you are local or far away. To find out more about how you can visit Thomasville or maybe even call Thomasville home, just go to thomasvillega.com. This week, I'm reading Fiona and Jane by Jen Chen Hao. Olivia, what are you reading? I am reading Loveless by Alice Oseman. And Lucy, what are you reading? I'm reading How to Be Perfect by Michael Schur, writer and producer of The Office, The Good Place, and Parks and Recreation. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, tell us by leaving a review on iTunes. Or if you're so inclined, support us on Patreon, where you can follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic, and you can participate in monthly lunch break Q&A videos. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week. 